0: um perfect
1: (laughs) i feel like we're gonna end up starting every podcast like this is not fire now
0: that's exactly how i want to start it off every time if you're not mentally prepared for that get out
1: go away (laughs) um well now that you know you are welcome to our podcast We're back, week three. Week three. Well, we made three actual episodes. Well, we're making the third one now, but it's crazy that we're like we're doing it. We're doing this thing.
0: We are doing it. We are doing it.
1: First of all, we had so much fun recording like uh, last week's episode. I think I say last week. Originally, it was supposed to only be one episode, but we ended up talking. And so, talking and talking, <laughs> we were so interested in what was going on that we had to split it in two because there's no way anybody's going to listen to anything for an hour and forty minutes.
0: Yeah, no, definitely not. Well, yeah, you never know, but probably not.
1: <laughs> yeah, we went ahead and split it up for you so you didn't have to split it up yourself.
0: So nice of us. Always so nice. We're the best. The best. We're so good. We're so nice. We are. Oh, my God. I'm sniffling. I've got, like, a little sinus infection. So, everybody, just try your best to ignore it. It's going to be annoying as shit, but we're going to make it. You're going to be okay.
1: (laughs) How dare you have human things happening to you?
0: Oh. How dare you? And I caught it from Evie, my... My oldest and now it's like completely taken over my body. So probably in the next couple of days I'll turn into a zombie and you know, start just like eating other human beings like Jeffrey Dahmer style.
1: I think that would be the best case scenario.
0: I honestly me too, because I you know, I think that like if I had to go out, it's probably the way I'd want to go out.
1: All things considered. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's a good that's a good way to look at things. We were super excited last time, and uh, we got really excited about that case, and like I said, we talked for a long time, but we were probably also talking over each other <laughs> a little bit, so we don't have any fancy equipment.
0: No, we're so
1: poor. We're <laughs> poor, but that's okay. Uh, we, so we don't have any, like, microphones or split connections or whatever it is that you need, so... Um, we're gonna try not to talk at the same time as each other, but we can't guarantee it.
0: I can't promise anything because I get so excited and I just start just blabbing. I mean like this has happened to me since I was like young. It's like probably why I have like two friends, um, you know. So yeah, we're just gonna try our best and like love it or hate it, I don't know. So it'll be fine. We'll figure it out.
1: Um. But first, I just have to say that this has been so far way bigger than, uh, way, way, like, I don't want to say bigger, so I don't want to be like, oh, no photos, please. Um, But this has been, (laughs) this has come out to be more, like, Uh, crazier than I thought it was going to be because we originally did this as like, yeah, everybody is a true crime podcast. We're going to do this for ourselves because we love it. Um, But as of right now, we have 51 followers on Instagram, which might not seem like a lot to you, but but wow. Um, And we also have 115 people have listened to our first two episodes.
0: Oh my God. I know. How crazy. That's insane. I I know. I was like, are we that interesting? Like, this is just going to be for fun because we both love true crime. And then people started listening. And then I was like, maybe we're, maybe we're not as weird as we thought.
1: Or we are weird. And they just like listening to it. But either way, I'm okay with that. That's like, that's literally like 110 more people than I I thought would listen to it. (laughs) Because dude my mom and dad are so supportive of everything that i do like sometimes i'll post a facebook status and yeah. after 4 days it only has two likes and one is my mom and the other one's my dad <laughs> and i'm like yeah parents yeah. um so my mom was like i listened to it twice mm-hmm. um so props jan she is really coming in with the with the listens
0: Yeah, I'm just really excited. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me on the show, gal. Thanks for having me. And so, basically, we're not saying no pictures, please, but like no pictures, please. Yes.
1: Are you ready for my episode?
0: I'm so ready. Are you ready? I'm so ready.
1: I'm excited about... I'm excited about this case. Perfect.
0: I can't wait.
1: You're going to love this one, girl. It's going to pull you right in.
0: Ooh, like an airplane toilet? Faster than an airplane toilet, girl. You're going to be in it. I can't wait. Let's do it. Let's
1: go. Okay, so this is the unsolved abduction and murder of Dorothy Scott. Mm. Let me set the stage for you. We are in Anaheim, California in 1980, which, let me just say, the 1980s was a really bad time for California, apparently. Um, I think that the Night Stalker was sometime around, like, 1985, Um,
0: so this was just a few years before that. Yeah, and he was a creepy fuck.
1: I think California saw a huge amount of serial killers and, like, murderific crime during this time. So, it's not surprising, but it is upsetting.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Okay. So, at the time of 1980 in Anaheim, California, Dorothy Scott was 32. She was a single mother to this great four-year-old boy. His name was Sean, which is short for Shanti. And she was living with her aunt, whose name is also Shanti Jacob Scott. Okay. So Dorothy's parents, Vera and Jacob Scott, often babysat their grandson or, you know, babysat for her as she worked and worked and worked to provide for her son, considering that Sean's father was a complete deadbeat. So he was absent from his life. He had moved off. He was living in Missouri and Dorothy was just doing the dang thing. She was working and taking care
0: of her kid. Oh, girl.
1: They said that Dorothy often worked from morning to evening, and even though she may have occasionally gone on a date, she definitely didn't have a regular boyfriend, so she was just working and working and working, going to work, coming home, going to work, coming home, no boyfriend around. Right. Okay, she was a back office secretary for Swinger's Psych Shop in a store that her father had owned. Uh well this her father had owned Swinger's Psych Shop, and also Custom John's
0: Head Shop. Um. Okay, so I have some questions about this yeah. job. Um. Okay. Oh God, this doesn't. I mean, like Swinger's Psych Shop. That sounds like, like it swingers. Like, what's like, and then a head shop? Like what's really happening? Like is that kind of like a massage parlor like
1: (laughs) no not that kind of head um different heads so yeah remember this was the 1980s so there's a pretty like hippified culture right now everybody's about like psychedelics so I think that the swingers psych shop I think psych is short for psychedelics and Um, whenever I looked up what when I did more research into what swingers psych shop sold the description was lava lamps and love beads
0: Mm -hmm. sounds like it I know I I don't
1: know what a love bead is but I feel like if we asked our parents from the 80s they would know what a love bead is
0: but I'll just draw my own conclusions
1: it's basically like not a love bead, but this store reminds me of something that like if you were planning on doing a ton of mushrooms and then needed to go somewhere to find things to look at, this is the store that you would visit. Okay. So So that's the, that's the swingers psych shop. And then a head shop, custom John's head shop. We still have head shops today. That's basically like just any store that specializes in Um, paraphernalia for the consumption of quote-unquote tobacco or marijuana. A head shop is where you can like buy a bong, it's where you can buy um, hookahs and different things like that. Yes so it was located at 517 South Brookhurst Street in Anaheim California. Both are closed now so if you try to go look for them they won't be there. Um, um, like I said, apparently there was like a super hippie culture at this time. And Dorothy was really just right in the middle of it, especially since her parents, um, owned this shop. Okay. Dorothy, however, was not one of those people that was out in the public though, sporting her own like tie dye shirt and her peace signs. Dorothy was generally in the back of the office working as a secretary. So she never really was out in the public. She didn't really um, talk to customers that much. And one of her friends even said that she was as dull as a phone book.
0: What a bitch.
1: (laughs) It sounds like it. Um, And she was also super religious. So that may have accounted for why she, um, wasn't really into the culture that much of, you know, like the smoking and the drugs, all that other crazy stuff. Um, so she was super religious and she was also really compassionate and she didn't seemingly have anything against anyone. Like when people were asking, you know, does she have any enemies? Is there anybody she doesn't like? There was nothing that anybody could say because she was very, you know, like really nice, tranquil person. Um, She was noted to have preferred staying indoors. She didn't like to go outside that much. She wanted to stay indoors and she would have rather attended church than going to any type of like social gathering. So she didn't go to any parties. Um, She didn't really go outside that much. She was just one of those gals that went to work, came home, took care of her son, slept, and then went back to work. Okay. which I can respect. Yes.
0: It's
1: so basically she was really hard to dislike because she was either at work, at church, or at home with her son. I mean, who can dislike you if you, you're never like really around people? However, despite treating other people with generosity and seemingly not giving anyone a reason to dislike her, a man ended up taking a liking to her in a way that changed her life in such a drastic way that still remains completely unexplained. It's, it's pretty creepy. I don't know if it's as creepy as like some of the stuff you were talking about, but this is freaky in a way that is really relatable to people nowadays. So all of this began in the early months of 1980, when Dorothy started getting these anonymous phone calls on a regular basis For months at work and at home, which she shared with her aunt from a man that she did not know, and these calls were alarming to say the least. So, this unidentified guy would sometimes proclaim his love for her, other times, he would fly off the handle and completely unleash his anger and threaten to murder her.
0: Um, okay.
1: Was either one or the other. It's like, I love you so much. I want to be with you. I'm obsessed with you. And then sometimes he would call and, and be completely enraged.
0: Um, okay. So like they not have star 67 back then. Oh wait, no, wait, which one is the one that like you can call the number back? Like,
1: oof, now we're getting back into the, into the real days of the telephones. Is it stars? I think it's star 67,
0: right? There's one where you can block your number and then there's you can call the number back but if I was Dorothy I mean like she seems like a pretty practical gal she seems to me though like you know like call her and she'd be like okay and then like after these phone calls started happening for a while maybe they kind of disturbed her but I mean I would be star 67 and that shit like all day long I mean but really what are you gonna say like this man
1: just called you and was like hey I'm gonna murder you (laughs) and you're gonna call him back what are you gonna ask him
0: me and dorothy obviously seem like two very different people because i would have told him i will rip your nipples off and some to your forehead <laughs> don't ever call me again oh <laughs>
1: never call me again oh that was a scary threat um i would not want that to happen to me yeah, so that does seem like something Dorothy could have done, but also, yeah, I mean, I don't know if like these calls were blocked, if they were, you know, like if if they even had caller ID at the time. I don't think so. I think that it was more of like if she could have called it back. I don't I feel like she was kind of one of those non-confrontational people and she was probably just really freaked out. It was just kind of like, "Oh, that's weird. Let me get on with my life." You know. Mm. This man on the phone openly admitted that he was stalking her. And he told her, I'm stalking you. And he proved these claims by providing many details about the clothing that she had on, um, even just like day-to-day activities at certain times throughout the day. Like, I saw you at lunch and you were eating this and wearing this.
0: Yo, oh my God, that gives me such the, like, willies. Like, that creeps me out. I do not appreciate that at all. stay the fuck away from me, stay away from my friend Dorothy, not working out. Especially, like, okay, so
1: say you star 67 this guy, and you call him back, and he's like, oh, yeah, now you're calling me back, I'm in love with you, you know, or, I, I don't know, like, it, it's just, it's really creepy, because he's giving her all these super intimate details, and, like I said, this is, this one kind of hits closer to home, because we are in such a digital age, that, like, we get phone calls all the time from people we, that we don't know. So this makes me not want to answer my phone. I don't. She ended up telling her mother. Yeah, same. I don't answer the phone either. Um, so she ended up telling her mother that she did recognize the guy's voice, but she couldn't remember his name. So that was something that she told her mother kind of in the beginning. And remember this was happening for months. It wasn't just like one or two calls months on end. She was receiving these. So Scott's mother recounted, um, this is what she said. She said one day he called and said to go outside because he had something for her. She went out and there was a single dead red rose on the windshield of her car.
0: Romantic. This just gets better and better. I mean, like, why didn't she call the police? I don't know.
1: Or if she would have called them back in the day, I was like, what do you say? Like somebody's calling me and telling me that they know what I look like I don't know and you know the police can be like kind of dismissive sometimes especially women who feel paranoid one phone call in particular really haunted Dorothy though um she told her mom about it she recounted what he said word for word and full of hatred this caller told her that he would get her alone all to himself and dismember her into bits and pieces
0: what the fuck
1: Yes. Okay, so this is exactly what he said. He said, now you're going to come my way. And when I get you alone, I will cut you up into bits. So no one will ever find you.
0: Oh, my God. Mm -mm. See, this is where she have just like, I don't know. I wish that she would have like went to the police or at least like went to somebody that could help, you know, I don't know if they would have helped. I would hope that they would have if she would have went.
1: For sure, and especially the mom. Yeah. Like, if your daughter is telling you that this guy is calling her and it's like threatening to kill her, what are you going to do? I don't know. It's really creepy. I guess they just thought it was. I don't know if they thought it was maybe prank calls or something, but this guy really seemed to have been stalking her. Yeah, like he knew exactly
0: calls. You know, like hey, refrigerator running, better go catch it. Like prank calls versus like hey, I'm going to cut you up into a bunch of little pieces. Cause I love you so much, like, no, wow, is- <laughs> loved that red scarf you're wearing today. Can't wait to cut
1: you up later.
0: Exo <laughs> gossip girl, like, what the fuck? This is not okay. Of course, he had like she was literally like tormented from the beginning, and she didn't even know this person.
1: Yeah, and especially like think of, like she's living with, you know, just with her aunt and with her son. And she just goes like from work to home. And she's probably like, why is this person even messing with me? Because I don't do anything. So poor Dorothy, I am super upset for her. So these alarming telephone calls and like super violent innuendos continue. So in May of 1980, Dorothy signed up for some self-defense classes she got into some karate and she was like, if this guy meets me on the street, I'm going to karate chop him in the neck. Cool. Go girl. And she was also considering purchasing a firearm. Okay. So she was scared enough to want some kind of self-protection. Okay. Anyway, one week later on Wednesday, March 28th, 1980, Dorothy attends a... Um, an employee meeting at Swingers. So this is not a conventional shop, right? They're they're on the cool. They're like on the hippie side. They're having their meetings at night. She goes to Swingers for her employee meeting, and Dorothy, though feeling relatively safer after taking her self defense classes, she still felt really unnerved this night as she headed to work to attend this employee meeting. So during the conference, she notices her coworker, and his name is Conrad Bostrin. He was not looking good. He had this crazy red rash on his forearm, and she was really concerned for him. He was, like, sweaty and just looked generally very ill. Um, So out of concern, because she was a nice person, she and another coworker, Pam Head, took him to the UC Irvine Medical Center ER. So on the way, Dorothy made a quick stop at her parents' house to change her clothes and to let her family know what was going on. So unknowingly to Dorothy and Pam, they don't know, but this emergency room visit is gonna take their entire night as they remain in the waiting room for their coworker to be discharged. At approximately 11 p.m., Conrad was released from the hospital with his prescription um and the doctors told him that he was suffering from a black widow spider bite.
0: Ooh. Uh, you know how I feel about spiders.
1: That just sounds really weird. And first of all, it's insane. That's like one of my biggest fears because I'm also super scared of spiders. I'm like, I need to be more careful in the garden. Wow. Yeah. I don't want to get bitten by a black widow spider. Right before leaving the hospital, Dorothy went to the bathroom while Pam waited with Conrad out in the waiting room. Okay. This was supposedly the only time that the two women were separated from one another for the entire night. Okay. Shortly after that, Dorothy insisted that they should go to the pharmacy store, which was just like steps away from the hospital to get his prescription filled while she went around and picked up the car, which was a white 1973 Toyota station wagon. So she went to go pick up her car because she, uh, she said she was going to swing around and pick them up because she didn't want Conrad walking in his condition.
0: So nice. She's so nice.
1: Isn't that super nice? Like, I feel really horrible that this happened to such a nice person. So Pam and Conrad only take five minutes in the pharmacy, 5 they're literally in there. They grab the script and then they come out they assumed that dorothy was going to be waiting outside like idling in the car waiting for them but she wasn't there at all so they proceeded to walk to where dorothy had originally parked the car at the beginning of the trip and suddenly they saw her vehicle driving at full speed pedal to the metal in their direction with the headlights on full beam the headlights were so bright, they partially blinded them. They waved their arms to try to get her attention, but the driver never stopped, and the vehicle swerved past them erratically and made a sharp right turn out of the parking lot.
0: Okay, not suspicious at all. <laughs> like, she's definitely... Yeah. I'd be like catch you on the flip side motherfucker like just like fucking peeling out of a parking lot you know like she does not seem like that kind of person so that would definitely have like sent warning signs to me like this is not Dorothy not her Pe- peeling out of here she's like no prescriptions for me y'all
1: can walk home so yeah so Dorothy some so someone was in Dorothy's car but the headlights were so bright that they couldn't see if Dorothy was driving it or if someone else was driving it okay
0: so here's where things
1: get a little interesting okay there is while I was looking there is an initial newspaper account of this exact story which was the June 12th, 1980 Santa Ana, Orange County register article. It indicates that there was another smaller car in front of Dorothy's car, but that detail never appeared in any accounts that came afterwards. Okay. So I want you to remember that. So in the original newspaper account that first came out, it said that there were two cars. One was in front of Dorothy's and then she was behind driving radically, but that, Detail never surfaced again in any accounts anywhere. Okay. So confused, obviously, like you said, they're like, well, what the heck? This doesn't seem like Dorothy. She's so responsible. Um, Pam and Conrad assumed that some kind of emergency had come up regarding her son at home. Right. So they're like, maybe she had to leave and she was really scared and she just peeled out and left us. However, They remain at the hospital for two more hours waiting for her to come back, but she never did. Okay. So Pam decided to call Dorothy's parents and ask if they had any contact with their daughter or if there was something going on with Sean, but the parents said that they had not seen her, they had not heard from her, she was not at home. So this is when they decide, they promptly notify the police. Okay. They report Dorothy missing. The police at the time, however, don't really think that there's much cause for alarm.
0: Of course not.
1: Yeah. So to my understanding, at this time, they didn't really do anything at all. Um, they were just like, yeah, maybe she left. Maybe she, she didn't want to be around you guys anymore. I
0: hate when they do that, honestly. Like so many missing person cases, so many abductions, you know, you see the police, I mean, and not all of them, you know, but there are quite a few cases where they're just like, Oh yeah. Just walked, you know, they needed a break. You know, they just didn't want to be around anymore. Like they didn't want kids anymore. They just left. Like who does that? That's like a very small percentage of people
1: for sure. And especially in like the seventies and eighties, you know, It was like everyone was a runaway at that time to the police. It's like, oh, they just packed up their bags and ran away. (laughs) It sounds like something crazy is going on outside of my house. Um, So maybe the police have gotten word of some crazy happening. There they go. Um, So, yeah, at this time, the police are like, it's fine. She just, maybe she didn't want to be a mom anymore. Or, like, maybe she thinks you guys suck and she wanted to get away from you. I don't know. So they're like, we'll make a note of it. Thanks. Okay. By five a.m. that same morning, Dorothy's station wagon was discovered up in flames in a back alleyway ten miles away from the hospital.
0: Oh.
1: But Dorothy was nowhere to be found.
0: Oh, that's so close!
1: So it was just her car on fire. Her body was nowhere. She, she. There were no traces of her, nothing. It was just her car set on fire and it was left in this alleyway. So several search parties were conducted in the following days. I guess the police were like, okay, now this might be an issue. Her car's on fire and we can't find her. So they had a bunch of search parties, but their efforts were completely fruitless. So authorities searched for Dorothy, but they turned up empty-handed in all of the days and the weeks that followed her disappearance they could never find her. So the first major lead that police received was when it was reported that Dorothy had been receiving numerous phone calls at work in the months and weeks before she vanished. She had told a co-worker that this unidentified caller was watching her every move and she mentioned that the caller was describing specific details of her life to her, which led her to believe that the calls were real and not prank calls. So it led her to believe that this was someone who actually was watching her.
0: Well, her mom didn't report.
1: So, it. it. It does not say that the mom was the one who reported it. No, I believe that it was a coworker that reported it. That's
0: interesting. Okay.
1: Vera and Jacob Scott, her parents, they feared the worst. And those feelings only grew more harrowing when on June 3rd, 1980, Vera Scott, her mother, receives a call at home from an unknown male. And this is what he said. Are you related to Dorothy Scott? Yes, replied Vera. I've got her, he said. And then he hangs up.
0: You know, I'm just gonna say like whenever people call like victims families or like for ransom or anything like that, you know, like, they're just so cryptic. I hate that. Like, we ne- we don't get any answers. Like, why can't you just say, like, just just give us something. Like, just tell her.
1: They're not going to reveal. They're not going to be like, hey, um, it's me. I'm <laughs> in apartment B of 4201 West Anaheim Street. You know, he's just like, that's all he says. I've got her. He hangs out. The police were immediately called this time regarding this disturbing phone call. So they told the Scott family not to release any details about their daughter's disappearance or the phone call to the media to um, because they wanted to kind of like have the upper hand and they wanted to steer clear of any false confessions or like they didn't want people to have information that they shouldn't have so that if somebody called, they could tell that it was real. Yeah. Um so the police didn't want the public aware of that at this time. Okay. So a week went by. A week went by without any positive results. Um and Jacob and Vera got really sick of sitting around. They were like the police isn't doing anything. They haven't found her. What the hell is going on? Um so they decided to report the story to the local newspaper and that was the Santa Ana Register which was the one that originally reported the second car. And they offered a $2,500 reward to anyone providing information leading to her whereabouts dead or alive. Dead or alive. With Dorothy's disappearance now completely in the eyes of the public, Pat Riley, who is the editorial manager for the Santa Ana Register, Pat receives an anonymous phone call on June 12th, 1980.
0: Is it the same person?
1: Yes. The caller says that he met Dorothy at the medical center that night and asked her about her seeing another man. Yes. Yes. He said, I met Dorothy at the medical center and I confronted her about seeing another man or being with another man something along those lines he said that dorothy denied being involved with any other man but he insisted that she was and that he had confronted her there and he indicated to pat riley that he had the pictures to prove his claim
0: was this like a boyfriend
1: well so every time that i was doing like that i was reading on this it's it, it was so adamant that she did not have a boyfriend or that she was not seeing anybody like she went on a couple of dates here and there, but there was no like right. man that was constantly in her life.
0: Well, yeah, but then this editor just gets a call and he's like, "Yeah, I know she was with other men. What the hell?"
1: Yeah, this guy sounds totally deranged. Like he's off of his loony bin. But she, he also said that he has pictures, and I don't know if he's saying like I have pictures that I was there. Or I have pictures that she was with another man or what? Because they did say that Dorothy did go on dates every now and then, but that there wasn't like a specific guy, right? Right. So then the caller said to Pat, so this is the transcription. This is a quote of what he said. The caller said to Pat, I killed her. I killed Dorothy Scott. She was my love. I caught her cheating with another man. She denied having someone else. I killed her.
0: Oh my God, that poor woman.
1: Yes. So after he says that to Pat, who's obviously like freaking out now, right? The caller goes on to relay intimate details specifically about the night of her vanishing that was never released publicly. So he brought up Conrad's spider bite and the red scarf that Dorothy was wearing and even more chilling, he stated that Dorothy had called him from the hospital hours before she disappeared.
0: Okay. So strange. But wouldn't her coworker have seen her talking to some man?
1: Right. So although that this guy had these like pertinent details about what happened, they were the police were under the impression that Dorothy never placed that phone call to any individual, primarily due to the fact that, like you just said, Pam was by her side the entire day, other than the time that she went to the restroom before they left, and when she went to the parking lot to get her vehicle. So after that terrible phone call, after one week, After her daughter disappeared, she received another phone call. And then she would go on to get these anonymous phone calls by the same man every single Wednesday.
0: God, okay. So just thinking out loud here, like, is it possible that, like, this guy never actually spoke to her in the hospital? Like, maybe since he was stalking her, he saw her. Is it possible that, like, he just had this conversation with her in his mind and then approached her in the parking lot?
1: Uh, yeah, that's completely possible because, like we have been saying, this dude doesn't really sound like he's working with a full deck. Um, <laughs> you know, like the lights are on but nobody's home. Basically, and then Vera is receiving these phone calls every single Wednesday. It's like clockwork. Like,
0: insane. like some
1: terrible horror subscription about you know this man who's saying that he killed her daughter. So. Weeks turn into months, months turn into years, Dorothy remains unfound, and these harassing phone calls never stop. So it's usually like while her husband is at work during the day, she'll receive a call from the same man. And Dorothy said that he's soft-spoken and that his voice is most likely disguised.
0: So he might have been watching her family, too.
1: Yeah. I mean, it did say, so she was living with her aunt, but also, you know, he, she kept like dropping her son off at her parents' house. So I feel like if he was watching her every move, you know, he would like know where her parents lived and he would know what she was doing and where they lived and and all that other stuff. It's
0: like like an email subscription that you can't unsubscribe to. Like, please stop sending me 15% offers. I don't want them, but he just keeps calling back.
1: Right. 15% off of your daughter's life.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. You have to be sick though to like, you know, take somebody from their family and then like continue to like dangle that in front of the family for years.
1: Yes. I know. I, it's something that I can't even, I can't even fathom and it must've been because they didn't have caller ID or because they couldn't see who the incoming call was. I don't know if it was at the same time every Wednesday, but um, you know, every time she picked up the phone, she would say, hello. And this person would breathe into the phone and say, is Dorothy home? And she would freak out and then he would just hang up or he would say that he had killed her. Yes, on some days he would even call and ask her um, if she was related to Dorothy um, and when she said yes, he would respond by saying, I've got her. And then he would hang up the phone. Um, and other days he would just straight up profess that he killed her. So some days he kind of made it sound like she was still alive or we don't know if we're sa- he's saying like, I've got her body or I've got her. Um, but he was, he would just say these really short things and then he would hang up every single Wednesday. Okay. So these calls lasted for four years. Yeah. Four years, okay, despite the police installing a voice recorder in their home hoping to trace these calls, they were never able to pinpoint a location because the conversations were so brief. You know they're recording them, they're tracing these calls, but the uh, the conversations are too brief or he also called back a lot when the phone was not tapped. so I'm wondering if maybe he was watching them to see when the phone was tapped or not. And were, was that the times that he stayed on longer? Yeah, it's possible. Yeah. Like, what a fucking creep. Okay. So feeling completely out of options, Dorothy's parents consulted a psychic.
0: Of course.
1: Um, it didn't turn out very well because then they consulted another psychic. And they didn't get anything from that. And then the police detectives consulted
0: their own psychic
1: what is the damn deal
0: with the psychics? I mean, I, I've, I've read cases and I've seen things where like, you know, there are people who can actually, you know, lead police or lead the families to a body or to a person. But it seems like there are a lot more people who believe that they're psychics than there are actual psychics. You know?
1: Yeah. Yes. Cause I have read those same things too. Like that. You know, this lady can um, tell you where someone's buried or like where someone's body is. She's like, can communicate with the dead or whatever. But I feel like most of your psychics, um, which if you're listening to this and you're a psychic, no offense. Um, just please don't try to look for dead people that are missing and give these people false
0: hope. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm I've, I've, Like I said, I've read cases where, like, it's actually worked out. So, I mean, I don't know. Maybe
1: it didn't work because they didn't have any of her severed body parts to give them.
0: Probably, like the Hinterkaifeck murders. But they also, those psychics had nothing either, and they lost the heads. So, moving on. <laughs>
1: Unvenient. Yeah, these psychics couldn't even be like, oh, yeah, I lost everything you sent me yeah. because there wasn't anything. So on August 6th, 1984, OK, again, four years after Dorothy disappeared, a construction worker or a subcontractor guy discovered a pile of dog remains at Santa Ana Canyon Road, approximately 13 miles away from UC Irvine Medical Hospital. And when he continued... Poor puppy. Poor puppy, I know, right? So he found these dog remains, and then as he continued to dig underneath them, he unearthed another set of remains that sadly belonged to Dorothy Jane Scott. Yes, so underneath these dog bones, he found charred human skeletal remains. He found a skull, a pelvis, an arm, and two thigh bones, and some brush off of Santa Ana Canyon Road.
0: Oh my god.
1: Yeah, so it's almost like this person had buried her there and then tried to, like, disguise it with dog bones or something weird was going on with that. I'm not really sure. Um, so along with her body, they unearthed a turquoise ring and a wristwatch that had been stopped and Vera Scott identifies the turquoise ring as belonging to her daughter.
0: Oh my gosh. Okay. I know.
1: A little more than a week later, on August 14th, the remains are confirmed via dental records to be those of Dorothy Jane Scott. The cause of death, however, could not be determined.
0: That's like absolutely haunting whenever they can't get a cause of death. I
1: guess it wasn't anything having to do with the bones that they found. Like, she didn't have any head trauma or like any blunt force trauma to her head or whatever, but there was a bunch of stuff missing and it was all charred. Like it had all, like, it looked like it had been tried to be burned. I'm not sure. Also, this is like, this was a notable quote that I found that I thought was really weird. Um, That, and it was, it was really notably quoted that Jacob Scott, her father dismissed any connection between his daughter and the dog saying that many dogs are struck and killed by cars along the Canyon road. He said that his daughter did not own a dog at the time of her disappearance.
0: What does that have to do with anything? It doesn't have to be her dog. I know. It was just really weird that he
1: felt like he needed to come out and say this. So that seems strange to me. Yeah, that is
0: strange. Um, Did they have, like, a – like, did how long she had been dead for?
1: Well, there. so there was an autopsy that was conducted, but, again, they um, – couldn't find a cause of death due to the state of remains. Um, though foul play was undoubtedly involved, right. but here's something else that's super creepy that also involves your question. Her wristwatch had stopped at exactly twelve thirty AM on May 29th, 1980, which was one hour after her initial reported appearance, disappearance.
0: Oh, okay. So it's, it is widely
1: believed, though we can't be sure, that her watch had stopped at the hour of her death.
0: That's so scary. That's creepy. So either
1: he stopped it, the guy who had her stopped it, or maybe he, like, I don't know, had hit her or something and, and it damaged the watch that stopped it. But it was, I think it's like a wide, um, kind of <clears throat> kind of like a rumor or something that she had this watch on and it stopped the minute that she died, exactly 1230. So the day after the remains are found and confirmed to be Dorothy's, Jacob and Vera go to the mortuary. They're making funeral arrangements to finally get some closure from this god awful case. And while they're there, their son, Alan, which is Dorothy's brother receives two calls at their home. And each time the man asks, is Dorothy home? And hangs up.
0: Oh, my God. This dude just doesn't give up.
1: No, he's obviously getting some kind of pleasure out of this. I don't know what's wrong with him. On August 22nd, 1984, Dorothy's family holds a memorial service for her, um, where her remains are eventually laid to rest. And Dorothy's um, other brother, Jim, gives a eulogy, and he says these super endearing words that just to me shows kind of how wonderful a person that she was and what a shame that this happened to her. And he said, to me, she exemplified the word give. She'd just give and give and give no matter what it cost her. And she spent the last hours giving and being concerned about others. Oh. So I'm glad that they found her remains and she was laid to rest. However, let's talk about the suspects.
0: Okay.
1: Do you have any theories before we go into this?
0: Um, I mean i at the very beginning i was gonna say you know it would have been um her son's dad or maybe even her father um you know like after he had said the thing about the dog that just really like weirded me out that he was just you know dead set on letting everybody know about the dog i know
1: that was something i had like put in my notes it was like I'm not sure if this is relevant information, but it just, as I was reading it, I was like, this is just so weird. This is something that I do have to say. So suspect numero uno, Dorothy's ex, AKA Sean's father. You're completely right. So they think that it could totally be Dorothy's ex, but investigators confirm that the alibi of Dorothy's ex and father of her child, Sean, is pretty airtight. So He was at home in Missouri on the night of Dorothy's disappearance. The case at this point, they were like, we don't even know where to go with this. Because that was kind of like our first suspicion. Um, But Mm -hmm. they kept looking. Suspects number two, co-workers Conrad Bostron and Pam Head. Okay. Right? Because they're the last two that were supposedly with her when she disappeared. Right? Yeah. So, the police questioned everyone at the psych shop, and then they questioned them again. And the consensus was that since Dorothy worked out of the public view, she was kind of like a back office secretary, it was really unlikely that her harasser would have been a customer that came in.
0: Yeah, I didn't even think about the fact that she was so out of the public eye. How would anybody have like seen and known things about her daily life, especially at work?
1: Yeah, because she was, I get the impression that she was in the back like working with books and like doing inventory and stuff and that she didn't really like come out into the front. So, and that's what the co-workers all said. She was never even like working with the public. So the police started canvassing the area for sex offenders. They, um, you know, asked her entire social circle for like any potential enemies that she had or even questionable characters, but they found none. Another notable thing is that it was made very clear that all of the employees at Swingers were like family to the Scots. And Jacob Scott, her father, said that he never suspected anyone at Swingers to be involved.
0: Hmm. Okay, So
1: that was another thing that he made it a point to say. I don't think it was anyone at Swingers.
0: But nothing ever played out with these two, right?
1: Well... So here's some other, some other things. I started going down this like Reddit rabbit hole, as you know, I can take you into like three hours of the morning. Um, but I'm, so I'm not sure if this is the case back then, but going to the hospital for a spider bite is often like hospital code for an infected IV injection site.
0: Oh, drug.
1: Yes. Like shooting up heroin or something like that. So I'm not saying that that's the case here, but that's definitely a thing. So, um, it's like to kind of help keep somebody's private, you know, privacy, they, the doctors will say, you know, can tell the patient that they can tell their family that it was a spider bite. Mm -hmm. If it was some kind of like infected injection site. Yeah. Especially when she was worried because he was like sweating and he looked really unwell.
0: Yeah. Which I mean, could also be a spider bite? I've seen people who had spider bites, and they look like absolute dog shit. But that would also make sense. Um, no, I mean that would that would make sense. So for either way, a spider bite or, like, you know, the drug use.
1: Yeah, definitely. Because I think so. There was another interesting aspect of this is that whenever people talk to Sean today, her, her son. Um, and like give him, um, there was a reporter that gave him like a breakdown of everything that she knew about the case. And he was never told the names, um, of Pam Head and Conrad Bostron. He had never, he didn't even know who those people were. He knew the story of the emergency room, but he didn't know, but like the names were never mentioned to him.
0: Hmm. Okay. So something
1: doesn't make sense. Yeah. Also, something else I want you to consider is that I think the time frame in which it took for them to call anyone regarding her, you know, leaving erratically doesn't make sense to me. Like it said that they waited for two hours for her at the hospital.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And that, I I thought that that was strange that they didn't like right away and was like, hey, um, we just saw Dorothy peel out of the parking lot. Let us know when you hear from her. We're worried. You know, I mean that would make sense to me. I'll hang out at the hospital for a couple hours and see if she turns up. (laughs) It doesn't make sense.
1: It it doesn't make sense. Something is something is off. And then they did, we know that they had the parents' phone number because they did call eventually. And say, hey, like, have you guys seen Dorothy? But they waited for two hours before they said that she supposedly left.
0: Is there any um, way that they could prove that they were at the hospital for those two hours?
1: I'm not sure. I don't know if they went back into the waiting room or if they were outside or if there was any, like, if anybody saw them. Right, because that would be...
0: No, you know, if anybody had seen them or like if they were in the waiting room or if they just said they went to the hospital, where were they for that two hour period?
1: True. And also, the thing about like Jacob Scott being so insistent that it was not anybody at Swingers. I feel like the police kind of didn't, they they felt like they shouldn't have followed that line as well as they should have because they just were taking jacob scott's word for it that 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 no one was involved right that's a lot of interesting information about those two okay okay so third and final suspect is a man named mike butler okay So, we have not seen anything from this guy yet, but over the years, like no conclusive breakthroughs have been made about this man. But there is some circumstantial evidence that points to Mike Butler. And he is the brother of a female coworker that used to work alongside Dorothy. So, he was one of her coworker's brothers. According to acquaintances, Butler had an unhealthy obsession with Dorothy. Unfortunately, there's hardly any evidence to consider him as a real suspect and the family in general has um tried separating themselves from the ordeal like the entire butler family kind of like just tried to get away from it.
0: So the only evidence that points to like butler is his obsession with Dorothy.
1: Yes, and he was also a brother of one of her co-workers. So he would have been around or known what she was doing. So there's this woman, um, who is a crime reporter. Her name is Brenda Thornlow. She has this super interesting article update on Mike Butler. Um, and so as it turned out, he has actually passed away now from health complications in 2014. Yeah. So he's not even alive anymore.
0: Okay. So yeah, like we can't, there's like no exploring that Avenue or.
1: Yeah. So even if we wanted to kind of like pin this on him or ask him questions, we can't, um, so he, like, there was a memorial for him that was in an online news site, and it said that he was also a deeply religious man, he was well known throughout his community, people that were with him, or pe- the, obviously the people who were writing this obituary felt like he was, like, a really good guy, you yeah. know? In time, he ended up settling down in Orange County, and he took a job as a machine shop mechanic and employee. So when we're talking about the building of Swingers, right, we're talking about this um, like 2,400 square foot store that was located um, about a mile south of the Santa Freeway, and it was next door or in close proximity to an auto mechanic or body shop. Or a muffler shop or something like that, which was on the corner of Orange Avenue. Okay. So he was a mechanic and there was, it was next door to some type of auto body shop. So this woman who was doing this research, Thornlow, she said, if you look at a Google Street map, you will notice that there is a transmission shop and a USA auto repair that are located inside that same little mini mall thing. Could Mike Butler? have worked at that auto body shop that was in close proximity to swingers? Is it possible that her murderer was working at this shop, which was giving him the opportunity to keep such close tabs on her, see her come and go? Um, She had told several people, including her parents, that she recognized the guy's voice, but she couldn't place the guy's name. So could she have one time maybe like brought her car into that auto body shop and come face to face with him and spoke to him before?
0: That's interesting. That would be, yeah. I mean, that's definitely.
1: A other than like these people who wrote, you know, his family that wrote this obituary about him, other sources say that Butler was an unstable individual who lived in the Santiago Mountains and was involved in cult
0: activity. Oh God! Here we go. Everybody, everybody who wants to blame somebody is always like, "In a cult." It was Satan.
1: Especially in California in the 80s, right? So The Night Stalker, too. Yeah, and a lot of people think that the dead dog that was discovered with her remains makes more sense if he was involved in some kind of cult activity.
0: Okay, yeah, that would make sense. And maybe also the burning of her remains.
1: Yes. So maybe it was like some kind of sacrifice or some kind of ritual where he also, you know, placed these dog remains. So that information about him came from some of her friends that had moved to Missouri. Law enforcement was aware of Butler at the time. They never had enough evidence to consider him a suspect or even a person of interest.
0: Well, that's a little disappointing that, you know, they didn't even question him.
1: Or they did question him, but they didn't have anything substantial enough to make him a real suspect.
0: Yeah, still disappointing. Cut him loose. Rude.
1: So rude. Here are some thoughts and theories. Again, I keep coming back to the initial reports of the second car in the parking lot. Was that true or was it an error? Um, Because it never got reported again after that initial
0: article. Yeah. Or, I mean, like, could it have been true, but just completely unrelated? Yeah, definitely. And it,
1: if there was, so it, let's say if there was a second car involved, and that means that, you know, I think that would be a really important piece because it means that there was more than one person that was responsible or more than one person involved. Well, so someone would have had to have either, like, driven him there or dropped him off something involving this second car like it wasn't just one dude that was just this vigilante that was obsessed with her and got her there's like it creates the possibility that there was more than one person
0: and i highly highly doubt that if the car was that we would see have seen dorothy leave her friends to go follow this random car did the police even go to the parking lot to look for evidence? Like, you know, like, we're not seeing a lot of evidence in this case except for phone calls, which we can't really tie anything to, and a possible second car. You know, like, there's really nothing, like, there. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of reports of, of th- things that the police
1: were doing to try to find her, and I feel like they just kind of felt lost. Like, what are we going to do? How are we supposed to try to find her, you know, with all this happening. So, you know, I think that someone has either kidnapped Dorothy and driven her car and the, you know, if there was an accomplice, he was driving the car in front as well. um, You know, which would lend to the report of another car. Was the killer driving the car when it sped out of the hospital parking lot? Not Dorothy. So was he driving or was she, maybe like being held at gunpoint and forced to drive off. So think
0: about that. That's possible too.
1: Definite possibility. So we'd have to believe that this guy was following her every day, right. As well as calling her. And also that he was never seen or noticed by an increasingly alarmed Dorothy, you know, it would have to be concluded that on this day, he followed her to the meeting and then Did he follow her to the hospital? Did he sit and wait outside? What would have happened if all three of them would have went to the parking lot together?
0: Unless they were the ones that were in on it. It does seem a little strange that she has this stalker, but she's brave enough to let them go into the pharmacy by themselves and her just be this, you know, big bad girl. I'm going to go to my car in the parking lot by myself. I I don't even want to go to my car. In the parking lot by myself. I'm like, can someone walk? And I as far as I know, don't have any stalkers. Isn't that that interesting? You know, so you know yeah, okay. Especially at like one in the morning or you know, like it it's super
1: dark outside. She's just like, Yeah, I don't want Conrad walking, but why wouldn't she ask Pam to walk with her?
0: Wait, let's be real. What pharmacy is open at one in the morning? Was it attached to the hospital?
1: Yeah, I think it was okay. <laughs> Hey, I think it was the hospital pharmacy. I mean, Walgreens, you got 24 hour Walgreens,
0: girl. I guess. I don't know. That's just weird to me. The whole thing is weird. I, for me, I think that the, the co workers are a very likely um, bunch of suspects because I think that the whole, all of the events surrounding them are very suspicious, especially the fact that she had a stalker. She was taking self defense classes. You know, she told people, This man kept calling her and, you know, she, so she just goes to the parking lot by herself. And then this man calls the editor and says he talked to her in the hospital, but nobody saw it.
1: Nobody saw anything like that. So I have more questions. Like I want to know, you know, did Dorothy actually volunteer to take Conrad to the hospital or was she asked? Like, do you think that Conrad could have been like, Hey, I'm you know, I'm feeling really bad. Can you please take me to the hospital? Um, and also, why would Dorothy stop at her parents' house on the way to the hospital?
0: Yeah, I thought that that was weird, too, so I mean, to me, it would sound like she would have been asked because then she could have said, like, hey, can I stop can we stop so that I can change, you know, or something like that. But I mean, like I guess my my biggest thing would be like, what's the motive?
1: I know that's, what's missing in this case is there's no motive for anything. And especially if it was the coworkers, we don't know why, like it was just made such a big deal that she didn't have anybody hating her. There was like no animosity towards her at all. And so, but I'm like, why did she have to stop and let her parents know? Why couldn't she have called them from the hospital? So, you know, maybe either Conrad's condition wasn't as bad as they were saying that it was, or that it was made out to be because it didn't seem like there was a really rush, big rush to get him there. It's, it's strange.
0: Yeah. It is strange. And the fact that she thought she recognized the voice, but she couldn't like, you know, put a a name to the voice. It's possible that it could have been him because, you know, I've heard people speak on the phone and I'm like, Hmm that sounds so familiar. Who is that? You know, and I've known this person and I've seen them and talked to them, but I just, you know, like you get a brain fart.
1: You can't place it. Yeah. And especially since the mother said, you know, Vera was like, yeah, it was somebody that was talking and he had his voice like incognito. His voice was disguised. Mm -hmm. He could have been calling Dorothy and she's like, I know, I know this person, but his voice is definitely disguised in some way, shape or form. I don't know.
0: And who what coworker did she tell about the phone calls? It was never explicitly stated anywhere.
1: That's and it wasn't stated who said who was the one that that um reported the fact that she had been getting calls. That was never stated either.
0: That's interesting.
1: Yeah. And I also think it's interesting that Jacob Scott, her father, made such a big deal to say, you know, <clears throat> None of these coworkers were involved. These people are like family to us. Right. You don't have any definitive evidence to say that, just off of a hunch.
0: Right. And why, why would you try to eliminate anybody Like that could have been a possible suspect in your daughter's murder? I would. Yeah. I'd be like, look at everybody. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah.
1: Even me. Like, make me a suspect. Like, if you have to, I want you to do your due diligence.
0: Yeah.
1: So, I mean, just like the whole investigative process surrounding this case was really strange. So here's an update. The LA Times reported last year, okay, in 2019, that some other remains were later found in 1987, but they were not identified until January of 2019. What's interesting is that Dorothy's remains and this new girl where her body's remains were found were almost in the exact same area okay in a grassy brush 50 feet from santa annie canyon road which is where they found dorothy's remains along with a red handkerchief and a length of cord her name was tracy hobson and authorities determined that she was stabbed in the torso and that her hands were removed And that her body had been in the area for about two months at the time that she was found.
0: Oh my gosh. So
1: could this be the same killer? Could this be the same person? Are they related? I mean, not the same person. I mean, you know, like, could the killer be the same person?
0: Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess I would have to know more about this Tracy, um, girl, but it is strange that they were dumped in the same place. They're both, you know, young females. um, Yeah, it's strange. And I do think it's strange that there were like personal artifacts with them.
1: Yeah, two personal artifacts that were with. And I think that maybe the cord could have been something that was used to to bind her. But to be in such a similar place, you know. Yes. You have to wonder. There were no reports of any phone calls like there was with Dorothy, but... It was definitely suspect. And that was just reported in 2019. Wow, that's insane. Yes. Um, on April 23rd in 1994, um, Jacob passed away at 69 years old on Dorothy's birthday.
0: Oh,
1: wow. Um, eight years later in 2002, her mother would also pass away as well. They never received any answers about who, why, or how their daughter died. And Dorothy's son, Sean, has um, totally gone on to live a meaningful life. But he still pursues justice for his mother. So it has now been close to 38 years. And Dorothy Jane Scott's abduction and murder remain unsolved.
0: Oh, oh my gosh. This poor family. A poor son. I know. So, This is a terrible case. I mean... Not even, you know, the events that happened, but the fact that her family was for years after.
1: Absolutely. And the fact that he still has not been found and has not been brought to justice. And if if he was someone that, you know, was a suspect but has passed away now because so much time has passed, that they might never get that closure, or that Sean might never get that closure.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that all is so sad. This whole thing is just so sad. This poor woman, her poor family.
1: Ugh, this one is really heavy, and it makes me really scared to answer the phone from people that I don't know.
0: That's why I don't do it. Yeah, this definitely gives me the creepiest vibes.
1: I usually don't answer the phone because it's like a bill collector. Yeah. Or um, someone that's calling, like a telemarketer that is calling about my Jeep warranty and (laughs) I've never owned a Jeep in
0: my life. That happens to me all the time. This just really solidifies it for me.
1: Don't do it, people. Let them leave a voicemail. Call them back after they establish their identity. Yeah. And for goodness sakes, if someone is calling you, if you're a girl, okay, and someone is calling you and telling you that they know what you're doing and that they're stalking you, tell somebody.
0: At least tell the police. I mean, or tell somebody who's going to say something. Tell
1: everybody. Tell mom. your mom. Tell your dad. Tell the police. Tell your teachers. Your dog. <laughs> like, yeah. You need to let everyone know. Yeah. For sure, tell everybody, don't stay silent, you need to let everyone know, yeah, like any anonymous like no, just don't do it Mm-mm. yes, women do not take anonymous phone calls, we don't do it. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Gals and Gore podcast. Tune in next week for another spooky case. You can listen to us on Podbean, Spotify, and now Apple podcasts. Make sure to subscribe for notifications and updates and check out our Instagram, which is simply at and Gore. Also, if you don't have an Instagram, we are currently working on updating pictures and sources on our website, which is www.galsandgore.wixsite.com podcast. Thanks for
0: listening. Hope you stay spooky. Thanks, boy. Okay, I'm gonna cut you up into a bunch of little pieces because I love you so much. Like.